Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turna. Once you use a Turna Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to oh hey great shot this is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point for all of you listeners, our weekly breakdown of all of the action happening across the Division I college tennis world. Now, as you listeners know, we're nearing the end of the 2022 regular season. We have conference champions named in multiple conferences across the country. Regular season action coming to a close postseason play on all of our minds. That said, every so often, college tennis likes to remind you that it truly is the most chaotic, the most exciting sport, in my opinion, in all of the world. This past weekend was one of those weekends in the Division I women's college tennis world. Upsets across the country, undefeated, number one North Carolina, knocked off in regular season play for the first time in years, folks. Yes, years by the Duke Blue Devils. Of course, we also had that aforementioned multiple times on this podcast, Oklahoma swing for Pepperdine. And Pepperdine comes out of the swing 0-2. Now, it was a winning weekend for Oklahoma State over the waves, almost a dream weekend for head coach Chris Young. But in the end, it was Oklahoma earning victories over both Pepperdine and Oklahoma State in dramatic fashion. The Sooners continue to prove it week in, week out, regardless of the situation. They are up for the occasion. Of course, we also had upsets in the SEC, Georgia, and 
0-2 weekend for the Bulldogs. I think that's happened fewer than 20 times in the career of head coach Jeff Wallace. Nevertheless, Bulldogs knocked off by Alabama, knocked off by Auburn as well in their final road swing of the regular season. And then we had a bunch of results that are going to factor into who we see competing in the NCAA tournament, whether it be the Big Ten, the Pac-12, countless other conferences across the country. We see you, UCSB, continuing to just rack up victories at a consistent rate. Of course, we'll talk about the battle out West USC surviving against UCLA. As I said, folks, it takes me two minutes to get through an outline of what we've got to discuss on today's show, because there is so much for us to talk about on today's episode. And if you're going to try and sift through it all, you better have some help. Uh, along the way. Thankfully, we do each and every week here on this show. Joining me once again, as he always does, is a returning champion to our Cracked Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog, our Cracked Rackets West Coast contributor, your co-favorite writer on our website, crackedrackets.com. It's our friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. What a weekend, my friend. How are you feeling? I'm good. That was, uh, that was an incredible weekend. I feel like particularly that Friday I was like, I had the, my, my phone, my laptop is just trying to stream all of the matches Had the, the sec show that you were doing. I mean, it was wild just trying to keep track of everything. Super exciting. What more could we want for what is really kind of like the grand finale of the regular season as we turn into conference play this week. Uh, couldn't want anything more. So just some incredible action. Really excited to dive into it today. If I hadn't seen your outline already, I would be slighted by the fact that you say the Illinois swing in Ann Arbor this weekend, Illinois Northwestern playing Michigan, not exciting enough for you for regular season action. You're ready to move on to postseason play. I'd be slighted if I didn't see the fact that we're going to talk about it later in the outline, because I know you have your eye on it, but yes, in what was either the final or the penultimate uh, weekend of the regular season, the action delivered. And again, I tweeted this out in the moment. Every so often college tennis does that to you, right? Where you have these pockets of upsets, but very rarely is it three, four, five on a day or, you know, six, seven in a weekend. And we got that multiple top teams upset. And I do think big picture speaks to the parody we have reflected upon all season long here on this show. We talked about it in the off season as well. No clear cut front runner or the team we thought that was Pepperdine. You know, what is their signature victory on the season? A win over Cal. That's something we can discuss here on this show, but everyone as everyone feels a very, very good. It feels like we should be treated to a bunch of four, three matches, if not four ones, four, two, that were ultimately trending towards four, three at the NCAA tournament. B, You know, sometimes in a case like that, you'd say there are a lot of very good teams. There are no great teams in a scenario where it's this wide open. I would disagree. And this is, again, another thing we've hit on with the plethora of transfers we see available due to the extra year of eligibility for all of these athletes. We have five years of high school graduates competing in college tennis. We talked about how it might manifest itself. I think this weekend is the perfect manifestation of everything we've discussed. And the glass half full take, which is what we do here at Cracked Rackets, it's an amazing thing for our sport. The level of college tennis right now, I mean, the depth you see not only at the one single spot, at the six single spot, it's a ridiculous level of tennis, and it should lead to maybe the most exciting May we've seen this century. Yeah, it's certainly a trend that we've seen, you know, the last few years and certainly the extra COVID year felt like it really exacerbated it, but really should take a second to take take stop of 
you know, this is really rare in women's college tennis, right? To be sitting here and saying like, there's 10 teams that are going to be competing, you know, I mean, typically year in, year out, if you look at the past decades going into the NCAA tournament, you're talking one team, maybe, but two to three, right? And here, much like we had on the men's side last year, where you were going like, there could be 13 teams who win this. Ultimately, it was Florida who was a cut above in the tournament. But that's the sort of excitement that we haven't really had on the women's side for a long time, if ever. And we're in that era for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, and it just can't be overstated. And we'll get into it as we talk about some of the, the conference winners, but just week after week, it's so exciting to see the history that's being made for these programs, these conferences. It's a really exciting time in women's tennis. Yeah, and let's play a history game here because certainly uh, I believe you look for Stanford. I believe they've won 11 titles since 2000. And, you know, we can go through year by year and talk about how open the race was going into that NCAA tournament. Let's start with 2021, obviously the last season. I think we knew UNC, Texas, Pepperdine, with the outsider being UCLA, if everything broke their way. Like it was a yep. pretty definitive four team, maybe even three team race. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And that felt more open than we've had in years past. Exactly. So let's keep going. 2020 would have been a UNC coronation. You knew I had to sneak that in. 2019, there were three teams. That it was, was a three way race. Who didn't play at the national indoors. Georgia, who beat North Carolina at the national indoors. But that North Carolina team, not only Dapatella and Graham and uh, McKenna Jones, who was playing her best tennis of her career in that 2019 season, at least from a singles perspective. I mean, to your point, it was another three team juggernaut race, but those three felt so far ahead of the rest of the field. Totally agreed. Yeah. All right. 2018 Vanderbilt knocked off four, three in the final by Stanford yep. that year. And, you know, again, that year also felt like it was Vanderbilt or if Stanford who didn't play the national indoors was as good as they appeared to be at in the outdoor season, like it did feel like a two team race, despite the Stanford 15 seed after Stanford won their first round, you know, again, when they earned the upset in the round of 16, it felt like the race was over. Yeah, exactly. And that's going to be the the through line of some of these, right? We're like, Oh, well, Stanford wasn't the one or two seed, but the reality was like, everyone knows they're a top team and they went on to win it. So the reality was there was two teams that year. That was the year Pepperdine had the outside shot, um, but they got upset by Georgia tech. Um, But yeah, you know, handful of teams there. I was at that. And again, UCLA was frisky that year as well. That was the one in Wake Forest. It was a fun year, you know, going beyond that 2017 Florida Stanford. It felt very much like there was a, you know, that was the dual match. We were all waiting for hundred you know, percent collision 2016. Course. Who was going to face the 15 seeded Stanford team? That was a big question. Ultimately it was Oklahoma state. Oklahoma state played them close that 2016 year is the interesting one to me because Florida had a pretty yep. good team, you know, the Brooke Austin, Courtney Keegan years and North Carolina as well. Yeah. And that was the ascension of the North Carolina teams as well. Maybe since then, like most open since then. Maybe. I mean, the draw didn't break well for anyone there, right? Because yeah. Stanford took on, was it Florida on the round of 16? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately, by the way, 2015 uh, or 2016, Stanford knocks off Oklahoma State again in that yep. final. Exactly. That truly, that Oklahoma State run is truly the most, um, I mean, it's the most stunning like sporting event I've really attended, <laughs> but it also was the first year we've really had what I would consider a, a total dark horse, right? Emerge from some of that chaos that year. 
Yeah, no, again, that was the friskier. And you look at it again, just the bracket, and I have it in front of me now. Yeah, uh, you look for that Cal team. That was the number one seed going into Mm -hmm. everything and uh, the depth they had on their roster. Those were the rich, uh, the uh, Richardson was still on the Cal roster. No, am I mixing things up? No, it would have been before her time. That was like a Manassee, um, uh, Megan Manassee, Lee Chai. uh, Yeah, shame on me. I see. Yeah, yeah, no, again, you look for that Oklahoma team. 4-0 star. Over Georgia in the round of 16. 4-2 over Ohio State, and that was the DiLorenzo teams in the quarterfinals. Then they knock off Cal 4-3 in the semifinals. 4-3, they're knocked off by Stanford. To your point, Stanford does knock off Florida 4-3 in that round of 16. Then 4-3 over Michigan uh, in, in the uh, quarterfinals. 4-3 over Vanderbilt in the semifinals, 4-3 over Oklahoma State. So a hell of a run for that Stanford team. I think that's the parallel. Like, would it shock you if I tell you a team goes four straight, four, three matches, round of 16 on to win this year's title? No, I think you're right. I think 2016 feels like a really good comp, right? You had some of the Blue Bloods in Stanford, Florida, who, you know, were were going to be good. They both had terrible draw for Florida. You had Cal, who I don't know if they were the – the favorite necessarily had Oklahoma state team who was so talented and on a tear coming on strong to towards the end of that season. That's a really good comp for this 2022 season. Yeah. And, and potentially that, seasons moving forward. Yeah. And I think that's a good place for us to catapult since we're about to talk about Oklahoma state and all of these Oklahoma teams. And again, just some history for where things stand, how wide open things feel. And as we approach may, excuse me, of course, before we get into all of this week's results, I do want to remind all of you listeners, the reason we're able to do these episodes of the Deciding Point week in, week out is because of the support we get from all of you. And again, to be able to embrace the college tennis community, have all of you participate from Scotty B all the way through. It means the world to us. We are so excited to be doing this show moving forward. I know John and I will both be in Champagne, So come say hello. If you listen to the show, tell, come tell us about our most egregious takes from the season. We look forward to hearing it all. Of course, again, another reason we're able to do this is because of the we get from our friends at Swing Vision and Turna. And I had the chance to speak with Swing Vision CEO Swapnil Sahai earlier today. You're going to be able to hear that on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Uh, and Swapnil lays out, you know, again, the inspiration for Swing Vision app, their plans for growing and using this technology to make things accessible to the tennis public. Of course, the pros, the college players want access to their stats, access to their film, but it's going to be available for listeners of this podcast for all of us in the tennis community, simply on your phone. All you got to do is download the app. You set up the camera on the fence. You're going to have all this film broken down for you by category, misses, makes, forehands, backhands, volleys, etc. all through one app. And to the college coaches that are listening, if you have it in your budget, and let's be honest, you do, there are iPads floating around your campus. There are things you can do to download the Swing Vision app today. You should use this at every practice you have. You're not going to need your volunteer assistance to sift through the film because the Swing Vision app will do that for you. And you want a discount to get started? We've got you covered in that department as well. You that use that promo code correct when you get a $20 discount, 14-day pro trial. You can learn more about Swing Vision by clicking on the link in the description to this pod. You can hear my conversation with Swing Vision CEO Swap Mil Sahai on the Cracked Interviews podcast soon. Uh, and again, 
a shout out to our friends at Swing Vision for their support. Of course, a huge shout out to our friends at Turna as well. And look, Turna has been a longtime supporter of what we do here at Cracked Rackets. We are immensely grateful for the support they give us, immensely grateful for all the products they produce for tennis players everywhere, whether it be their grips, their strings, you name it, they've got it. You can learn how you can join the Turna team today by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. Again, thank you to Turna for their support sales at uniquesports.com today to join the Turner tennis team. With that said, Jay, let's talk about the results that we've seen unfold across the college tennis world over the past weekend. And the place we should start is with some congratulations. We've got some conference champions across the board. And in particular with some conference tournaments coming up this week, a shout out, first of all, first-time champions, Oklahoma and Texas A&M. And for Oklahoma, I suppose a parting shot at the Big 12 as they're eventually SEC bound, but Oklahoma has earned it, and they were the breakthrough story of the kickoff weekend that went over Duke on the road, looking better and better with every passing day. Of course, then they go to the national indoors. They beat Texas. They beat Pepperdine. They take doubles and four first sets against North Carolina. And after dropping that match, you know, they've been through turmoil. They've played four, three matches. They beat, you know, Texas earlier in the season, four, three in the big 12 play. And now this weekend, four, three win over rivals, Oklahoma state four, three win over Pepperdine as well. Four, two, four, two, excuse me. (laughs) Simply put this Oklahoma team has it like no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're good in just about every location. Let's talk about the mechanics of their victories here. Now, again, for in their 4-2 victory, they take doubles. They get uh, wins from Sleeth, Corley, Shanta, uh, and then unfinished, of course, at the number six position. Against Oklahoma State, uh, they take doubles. They get a win from Sleeth. It's Shanta. It's uh, Pisareva. And, you know, again, that gets the job done. This team has options. We saw, you know, uh, Ivana Corley go undefeated at the national indoors. We've seen what Emma Staker is capable of doing. She clinched the Texas victory as well. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it at this point anymore. Oklahoma is legit. And I don't think anyone had doubts, but it's, it's perhaps time to start taking this team as maybe 1A heading into May because, simply put, they had their adverse moment where they came up short. It was North Carolina in Madison. They've responded ever since. And again, they came through in the clutch this weekend. Sleeth is down to Ryu and she earns a one, six, seven, five, seven, five victory. Like what more can you ask for? Yeah, there's really not much more to say about this Oklahoma team. I mean, this weekend really did solidify for me that they are one a right. And I think it is easy to um, maybe disregard Oklahoma because of the the talent on paper maybe doesn't look as strong as some of these other teams coming into the season, but what this Oklahoma team has so clearly is fight. I was so impressed with that Oklahoma state match. They are, it is the bedlam rivalry. They're there in Stillwater fans were crazy. Although I will say there were a lot of sooner fans as well, and they should have lost that match, right? I mean, they win doubles easily. They get a win from piece of Rave pretty easily. They go down three, two after kind of losing three singles matches, fairly straightforward. And Lane Sleeth is down three, six, what? Three, six, one, four, no one, six, three, five. Yeah. Sorry. One, six, three, five. And you're like, well, this is over, right? And they're on the road. Let's clarify again. They are on the road. They're on the road. And I mean, everyone's getting off the court, right? They're just finishing back to back to back. 
We're going, well, this is, this is over. Sleeth wins four games in a row to take that second set goes down one, four in that third set and comes back and wins it seven, five. I was so impressed by her resiliency, her athleticism, her fight in that match. Um, I was equally impressed with Oklahoma state, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, but I mean, there's nothing more to say about this Oklahoma team, regardless of the lineup, right? They didn't actually have Ivana Corley in that lineup against Oklahoma state. They pulled her. She was back for Pepperdine. They have seven options there with Staker and Guzman and they make the most of them. And you never really know where they're going to come from. Although I will say they looked exceptionally strong in doubles and both Sleeth and Shanta went to a no where that fourth point comes from changes, but you believe they're going to get that fourth point. Just an incredible weekend for them. You also just feel like, again, for uh, Sleeth, she's just not going to lose in straight sets. And to have that presence at the top of your lineup when all of these matches are going the distance and all of these points are played close, it's just a calming presence to be like, you look up at the scoreboard, all right, yeah, Lane might have dropped the first set and we dropped four first sets, but she's going to come back. So we know, you know, I've, we've got her in our back pocket and all the rest of us can play with a little bit more freedom. But to your point, and we've obviously buttered up Coach Cohen and Jose and Coach Cobra quite extensively throughout the course of this season. But you talk about that fight. It's from the top down. Like, absolutely. That is what separates this team from everyone else is with all due respect to other teams in the country who also have degrees of this, they have the it factor. Like this team sees a scoreboard deficit. They are not afraid of being in that moment. And they have been in it repeatedly. Pepperdine made a massive push against them in the semifinals of the national indoors. And Duke was, you know, right there on surface, not beating them in the doubles point earlier this season to beat Texas at the national indoors, knowing how hungry that Longhorn team was. And they have you down and out also at home, but they fight back in front of their fans, earn the victory to go on the road, beat Oklahoma state. And then to follow it up with a victory over Pepperdine that again, you could be like, well, this one's not a conference win. And we already won the conference title. We can let this one go. They win it for two. Again, all of the checkboxes, all of the checkboxes. And here's why I don't think they can be 1A definitively yet, because if North Carolina runs the gauntlet at the ACC tournament and, you know, this is their first chance they've gotten punched in the face. Now they have the opportunity to respond. And we'll talk about that in the North Carolina portion of this show. But they still have the right to be right there with Oklahoma. That said, you're right. To your point, no one is ahead of Oklahoma going into May. No, and these could very well be, in retrospect, your top two teams. Yes. Right? When we look back at the end of the season, we could say, hey, it was always going to be a collision course of these two teams. They have clearly separated themselves from the rest of the field. Oklahoma made that um, you know, clear. I think you might disagree with that. But ultimately, I was I, – I, I think they have separated themselves well, in a way here's that where I would oh, – sorry. Here's where I would push back. There are a lot of 4-3 wins. And they've gone the way of the Sooners, and that speaks to the it factor. And we just complimented them excessively, and you're going to have your back against the wall again in the NCAA tournament, and this team proved they can come through at the national indoors. That said, 4-3 matches are 4-3 matches. 
who's to say, you know, Sleeth doesn't drop her match at number one singles against Ryu, you know, five out of 10 times. Who's to say that, you know, Lisa Czar or uh, Nikki Redelick don't come through in third sets uh, against, or excuse me, Nick, Lisa Czar and Nikki Redelick were not that match. Or who's to say, you know, again, uh, Fakuda, there it is in the third set. Or Patch Kaleva, it was Lisa Czar, don't come through in their third sets as well. There are a lot of close matches and they're breaking their way, but that's why it can't be the definitive favorites is because close matches are close matches. And like that, I still think the rest of the field is very good. Being having a prohibitive few favorites does not mean the rest of the field is not very good. True. Well, I guess it's all about flexibility with the word prohibitive. I take a lot of value in the word prohibitive and like tier one, a top two teams. Oklahoma, yeah, tier North one, Carolina. tier one, for sure. I yep. agree with you. Um, all right. With that said, let's talk about the other teams in Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, the Sooners now, by the way, who with their victory projected number two right now in uh, the ITA rankings and still behind North Carolina. But uh, obviously, they're going to have another shot at a Texas or an Oklahoma state. They'll get to play a frisky Baylor team or all these different teams in the big 12 tournament. Certainly uh, they are going to be top eight though, and going to be a top four seed come the NCAA tournament. That said in the race for the top eight, Oklahoma state strikes a massive blow as uh, you know, the cowgirls, bounce back from their loss against Oklahoma to beat uh, Pepperdine at home. And you look for this Oklahoma State team to take the doubles point and, you know, earn the victories they did at the number one spot, number two spot, number six spot. You know, that's what it takes at the NCAA tournament, finding four hard fought points. And obviously in the end, it's Alana Wolfberg who struggled with injuries all season long for her to get the seven, six victory in the third set over Redelick, the confidence boost that is, you know, my Swanka who has been so outstanding this season and she earns a massive three set victory over Lisa Czar. Obviously we know how good Rio can be for her to bounce back the way she does to beat Shori Fukuda in straight sets. I mean, Again, this is what you ask for if you're Oklahoma State women's tennis head coach Chris Young is your team gets knocked down at home on a Friday night 4-3 by your rival Oklahoma. The next day, another top five team comes to town. You make a lineup shift. I believe it's uh, who was pulled from the line. I believe it was uh, Zerolo who was out Yeah, uh, at the number three spot. And again, your team responds. They take the doubles point. They take two three-set matches. You look for this Oklahoma State team. They're three losses on the year, shorthanded to Ohio State early in the season. You know, they lose a heartbreaking match to uh, to Oklahoma here this past weekend. And then, you know, their third loss on the season, I don't think there's any disrespect in, in uh, losses, excuse me, at UCF and to Texas as well. Like, a 4-3 at UCF is not a bad loss. 4-1 to Texas, even at home. Not a bad loss. What about this 17 and four team? Excuse me, not 17 and three, 17 and four team. Do we have doubt? Like they're tier two, tier three. They're right in the mix. Yeah. And look, I mean, that UCF loss on paper is their worst loss of the season. And one could argue that without that loss, they don't win this Pepperdine match, right? Because yes. you mentioned Alana Wolfberg. She's played two matches this season mm-hmm. in singles. They have both been seven, six in the third matches. She was on the losing side in that UCF match comes out on top against Pepperdine, a pretty heroic effort from her to come back uh, from injury and do that. But look, it, this was an unequivocal great weekend for Oklahoma state. You mentioned all of the heartbreak against Oklahoma and they were 
points away from winning that match and to lose a share of the big 12 title is going to hurt. But what I love so much about this weekend and shout out to all three coaches who were involved in planning this is what better facsimile for the NCAA tournament, right? I mean, even though it was a loss and we're in single elimination for the NCAA, but for both of these, all three of these teams that have to come back either the next day or a day after and replicate what they need to do to win that match after such high or such low emotions is a huge testament to Oklahoma state for their ability to do that. It would have been very, very easy for them to falter against Pepperdine in a, in some ways, non-consequential non-conference match. And they didn't. And I was extremely impressed with, with doubles, the top of their lineup. Um, You know, we haven't, we didn't include um, their number two freshman. Um, I believe you have the pronunciation better than I do, so I apologize. Um, but she's honorable mention on that. My Swanka. Swanka. She is not. And shout know. out to the Oklahoma State SID and their team who have all the pronunciations on their websites available. Oh, well, that's a shame. I didn't look at that. No, that. just so you know, just so everyone knows. Yeah, there you go. Um, so she's been incredible. I mean. They carry a lot of momentum into that Big 12 tournament. And I was I was really impressed with the depth and strength of their lineup. Yeah, no, again, you look for this Oklahoma State team on the year. They've been pretty solid everywhere. Now, there are times when it feels like they're a player short. And then yeah. I think manifests itself in their record at the number five single spot where they're eight and seven. But, you know, Lisa Marie Rio, 10 and four at the number one spot. She didn't play against Ohio State earlier yep. in the season. Swankoff, 15 and two at the number two single spot, 16 and two overall. You're very much looking at someone in contention for freshman of the year and probably someone we should have talked about a little bit more in our MVP conversation. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Week. It was well, here's the thing. I excluded her because she did have one match at number one, but, you know, definitely honorable mention. One match earned exclusion. Interesting. Tough stand. I'm a rule I mean, follower. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, you know, we'll save that for a different time for the Patreon <laughs> feed. Um, 12 and four at the number three spot. I apologize. I'm looking down. I'm looking at the stats, you know, tw- uh, 12 and three at the number six spot. And, you know, they have the opportunity to mo- move Miyamoto, who's nine and six overall in the year, but three and zero at six. I feel like she can be an answer when you can get her playing there in the lineup. The key is how healthy is this team? They're 33 and 18 in doubles. You know, again, it's very Auburnish. It feels like it's very much on that. I don't know if it's because where are the definitive victories coming from? I think Sawanka is going to win. I think they're going to get a win probably at the number six spot. But where you know, it's a two point team, maybe not a three point team that you need to be in tier two, maybe not quite that four point team either. But two plus like two plus they're going to be competing at all the other single spots. And again, I don't know if they're they probably need to at least make the Big 12 finals, beat a Texas, maybe even beat an Oklahoma to be definitively a top eight team. But I don't want them coming to my region in the Sweet 16. And I think they're going to, you know, again, I think they advance to that Sweet 16. I do think there's enough depth there that the, the way they compete in all six single spots, even if they drop doubles points, they can find ways to four. It's a really good team uh, over in Oklahoma State. And, you know, there are a couple seniors on the roster, certainly as well, but I like the direction this team can head. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I mean, they're all eyes on 2024 for them, whether the host of the NCAAs yeah. and, um, and they're certainly building, building the pro they have the program. They're building the team to do it. Yeah. And so we'll keep our eye out on them. 
I am fascinated to see the rematch with Texas. I'll say that as well, because I think both teams have gotten better since they last played. And now this Oklahoma State team has confidence, certainly. Yep. I'll say my prediction of that one for the end. Okay, perfect. The last part of this conversation we have to get to is Pepperdine. The most perplexing season in recent college tennis memory belongs to the Pepperdine Waves, who, again, if go back and listen to our preview of Pepperdine season from our College Contender Series. That's the podcast you should accost us about in Champagne because we made some lofty predictions and certainly at 17 and six. And right now in the projected rankings, despite their losses, Pepperdine currently sitting, I believe, at number nine. So you know, they super just notable. fallen out of the mix. But yeah, very notable, but still in the hunt, right? At the same time, you know, again, you look for this Pepperdine team. I mean, the most fascinating number that stands out to me, do you know Vicky Flores is five and six in dual matches this season? And a lot of that has to do with when Pepperdine wins, they kill some teams. And part of that is their conference schedule. They are significantly better with the talent on the roster than the teams they face. And they get a lot of quick wins in the clinch format. That means Vicky Flores, who certainly likes to grind and take her time. She's not finishing matches at the same time. You look for Pepperdine this past weekend. Vicky Flores obviously losing that third set match in the end to Alana Wolfberg, 7-6 in the third. Flores. That was Nikki Redelick. Oh, that was Redelick, not Flores. Excuse me. Uh, But so for Vicky Flores in that match, did she? She didn't play. She did not play that match. So again, speaks to that. I appreciate that. But for Vicky Flores, who's down in the third set, or you know, to Dana Guzman, yep. but not finishing the match, you just felt like whoever the Pepperdine number six player was, they were going to steamroll their ways to victory. That haven't happened. Hasn't happened. Now, you know, for uh, Savannah Brodus this past weekend, great weekend for the freshman. She continues to thrive. She's 13 and five overall, seven and two in her last 10, two week uh, victories for her straight sets over Sophia Rojas, straight sets over Pisareva as well. That's a piece that's clicking. Yep. Janice Chen, five and two victory uh, for her over Corley, three and four win over Miyamoto. She is clicking. That's about it. Like you look for them this weekend. They dropped both doubles points on the road. Now, Shiori Fukuda had a tough weekend, you know, loses seven, six in the third to Lane Sleeth, but that's essentially a one in one weekend for Fukuda. I don't think it was a bad weekend for them at the number one spot. Czar losing, you know, two, three set matches, that really hurts for them. And, you know, at the number three spot for, or, or Pachkaleva, who played uh, number two two for them, I believe in one match and yeah, they number them. three for them in the other, you know, again, she goes one and one on the weekend. Is that the solution? Like is patch flavor, the three, it, like it just feels unclear still what they need to do at the top of the lineup. It things aren't clicking the way they need to at the number six spot. Now, again, you look for Savannah Brodus. Not only did she go uh, 2-0 and in singles, Savannah Brodus also, I believe, a 2-0 and weekend uh, in doubles, or at least she's up 4-2 before they're clinched on against Oklahoma. I don't know, Jay. We said they've got five months to figure out what pieces fit where. We're four months in. What pieces fit where? Oh, Chen and Brodus at 4-5. and five. That's yeah. it, right? Those are the two pieces everywhere else. They're lucky if they're 500 against these top teams. They're 0 and 4 at 1 and 2 on the weekend, which we always thought maybe that was a little bit of the vulnerability, right? Like no, no superstar on the team to sure. carry number one. But again, we thought they'd clean up at three, four, five, and six, and they are at four and five. See, right? To me, it's it's not even one and two. 
it's six. And I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. I'm sure you were getting there. But 0-2 on the weekend at six just can't happen for this Pepperdine team. Totally agree. Um, and for the only thing that had really been going well for this team was, was it doubles right throughout the season. And that falls apart this weekend. Look, I mean, we're now looking at a team that has six losses. Their best wins are against a Cal team that they've lost to twice and two wins over a number 15 UCLA team on paper. This Pepperdine team doesn't have the wins is more tier three than two, a hundred percent. And the only reason that they continue to be in this conversation right now is because of the names and the talents that they have on paper. But the reality is, is that those are not delivering. Now, I do think it was a good sign to get Patrick Galeva in the lineup. She got a win, not a bad loss, three sets against Corley. That could be a piece. But again, it's disappointing to see Czar, you know, lose at two and three. She had been the, the, the lock. It feels like to compare Oklahoma and Pepperdine, in every situation where Oklahoma needs to find answers, it's things stepping up. And in the reverse, it feels like things are falling apart for Pepperdine. It's like you fix one hole here and another one pops up. It's mm-hmm. been really challenging. That's exactly it. Now, again, to your point, Janice Chen, 16 and two, she's won her last 10 decisions. That's ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, Broad is seven, two to Redelick's credit. She's 10 and three in the dual match season, nine and one in her last 10. Her one loss just happened to be a three set loss this past weekend. She's been solid yeah. as an option there. Here's the glass half full case for Pepperdine. To your point, nothing has broken their direction yet. And maybe that's the penance you play for last season's 4-3 over UCLA, 4-3 over North Carolina. You take that, you know, you're again, you're a whisker away against Texas in that NCAA final. That said, if things do click for Pepperdine, first of all, they're number nine now. And their conference tournament is not going to yield them things that's going to jump, have them jump anyone significant. Now their Calwin, excuse me could appreciate with value, but that's one cow win, not the two or three. They potentially could have earned here throughout the course of the season. Maybe yeah, UCLA, only top 10 win. Yeah. Maybe UCLA goes on a run in the PAC 12 tournament and that helps them out as well, but they are now reliant on others. Yeah. This Oklahoma weekend, they needed one and they did not get it. And now they may fall out of the top 16. And I mean, again, not, six, I would, not six uh, top eight, top eight, top eight. Yeah. Thank you. Now I would want no part. Of that. They are the most dangerous non-top eight seed maybe in tennis history. And I do think that is the flip. Oh, well, that's not true because Stanford exists and they were the 15 for quite a bit of time. But there's a world where everything still clicks for this Pepperdine team, where they're playing hooky, where for one week there are no holes in the boat and everyone plays well. And that's why we can't quit on them. Because again, even in their losses, and you look for this Pepperdine team, who at 17 and six have taken some losses uh, throughout the course of this season. And yet, you know, again, you look at the losses themselves 4 2 against Oklahoma match. They were right on the press. Fakuda had the momentum against Sleeth. You know, they're in third sets in a couple of places. That was a winnable match. You look at it 5 2 at Ohio State. I actually think that's the match, their worst loss, probably, where they got beaten down the worst throughout yep. the course of the season. Four three losses at Cal twice, a four three loss to Oklahoma State. They're right there. I think they were pretty close in that Oklahoma match as well. There's not a bad loss on their resume. That would be the argument for Pepperdine. It's not as though they've lost a bad match. It's just what's the good win? Right. Yeah, they don't have one. Um, right. That best win was was over Cal, which happened at indoors. 
um, which and was, someone texts me right now that hypothetically they would go to Oklahoma State for the super regional right now. And let me look at the projected rankings. That's true. Is Oklahoma State currently number eight in the project? No, Cal number eight in the current projected rankings. So that's where they would be headed. Yeah. You know, I think a lot will be flushed out there, right? A lot of those yeah. teams outside of Pepperdine, they're there. If we get Cal Pepperdine part four, hold on. How amazing would that be? Yeah. Who would you take in that match? I mean, I would have to take Cal. They've won all the outdoor matches. They beat him at home. They beat him in Malibu. Like, you got to go Cal. Um, And and that's exactly what they want, by the way, is everyone rooting against them. That's the best narrative for this team to spin. But go ahead. Sorry. Final thoughts on this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, I mean, uh, I think if we were to look at this resume blind, this is not the conversation we'd be having about this Pepperdine team, right? And so I think that's the tough part. Of course, these are all extremely talented players. But at this point, it's just going to have to be another run like last year where they they turn it on. Yeah, that's the question. These six losses callous them up the perfect amount heading into the NCAA tournament or did it break the Levy? And it's just there's no coming back at this point to be in that position a bunch of times to have it break against you again. When they win, they blow teams out, you know, outside of their four, three win at uh, at UCLA. They've beaten everyone fairly comfortably in their victories. Can I mean, they get through? It's <laughs> not like top 20 teams. Yeah, exactly. But that's, so that's the question is, can they get through in the close one? You're right. If we weren't so invested in the names, in the history, we would look at the blind resume and say, this is not a top eight team. At the same time, we know what they're capable of. We've seen them in their losses. Fascinating time right now uh, for Pepperdine tennis. And certainly a, maybe the biggest storyline heading into May is the wild card. That is Pepperdine going into things with that said, Somehow, we did not lead our show with the upset of the number one and last undefeated women's division one team in the country. That's what we have to talk about now, because North Carolina, after winning the national indoors and advancing fairly comfortably through the ACC season, uh, they see their four year ACC regular season win streak snap. They also hadn't lost a regular season match since 2018 when they lost at Duke uh, in a familiar fashion. Well, again, this team now goes to Durham this season facing the veterans, Billiken, Drummy, Chen, and this Duke, un- uh, this Duke unit gets the job done. You look overall in the end, the Blue Devils, not a 4-3 victory, no, a 5-2 win over UNC, a match that sees them win the doubles point, earn straight set victories at the one, four, and six positions. And again, last week, I put Fiona Crawley, number one, on my MVP ballot. You understood my justification for that vote. Fiona Crawley was up big on Kelly Chen early in this match. I believe it was a 3-0 and a 4-1 lead. And yet 4-0? Was it 4-0? Uh, 4-0 seemed right, but I mean, yeah. regardless, big lead. Massive lead for Crawley in that first set. In the end, Kelly Chen, 6-4, 6-3, clinching victory to see her fall to the ground. That's what college tennis is all about. And again, 
for this Duke team to respond the way they do after struggling, uh, certainly in one weekend in Florida, right? They take a loss to Miami. They take a loss to Florida State. John Parsons crosses them off his list, despite my imploring him to reconsider this veteran Duke team. And this Duke team, again, responds down the season's home stretch. 4-3 win at NC State. 4-3 win at Wake Forest. 5-2 win over Georgia Tech. Now this 5-2 win over North Carolina as well. Again, you look for, and we talked about it last week, Chloe Beck remains undefeated. She gets a win over Cam Mora. And, you know, this team is still 17-0 at the number two spot because if you put Drummy at two, you know, you like her chances to earn the victory. She gets a three-set win over Elizabeth Scotty. Now, again, we can talk about the North Carolina side of this equation in a second, but you look for this Duke team. Doubles back, finding one in the bottom three of the lineup, finding one more like the recipe. This is a good this team competes everywhere, but they also have a couple of locks in their lineup. Yeah, I mean, just taking a step back, like it was only fitting for Duke to finish what they started. Right? Yeah, they exactly. they were the reason they were but the also for- you think that sorry, this Kelly like for this Kelly Chen Duke team, they're like, finally, no Davitella. No Graham, no Jones. We better beat this. I almost swore. Sorry. We better beat this team. Yeah. Um, I mean, they hadn't in a long time, right? Yeah. So this was a huge win for Duke. And you're right. I mean, like they actually, they switched back and drummy for this match. I thought was super interesting. Clearly paid off. They win both of those matches. Um Beck has been the one I, we said this, I think last week, right? Beck has really been the one solid point for this team. And now you start to see more, more people coming into, into play, right? If Kelly Chen is going to beat Fiona Crawley and play like that, by the way, Fiona Crawley now 49 and one, just an insane record. If she's going to play no like that goes 50 and zero in college tennis. No, go one. on. Yeah. Um, oh, it was Stevie. Um, yeah. He won 72 straight to end it, but he was right. never 50 and zero. Okay, well, yeah, that's how you finish, not how you start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, right. And then I think you know Ellie Coleman over Yarla got at six was actually a huge kind of like uh, undercard win, if you will. Right, that d- doesn't get talked about. I mean, that's a huge win for her. She's really struggled as a freshman this year, so pieces are starting to come together for this Duke team in a way that they haven't earlier in the season. That look, they could kind of make good on the potential that we started talking about early in the season. Well, I'm glad you bring up Coleman because she is the fascinating piece. 11 and six overall in dual match play, eight and one in her last 10. And you're yeah. right. Yarla God has lost fewer than 10 matches in her dual match career to beat her five and four at home as a freshman. What a phenomenal victory. And even Emma Jackson, who's gone six and six this year in dual match play for her to go three sets with Riley Tran. I don't care that she was losing uh, in the third. North Carolina made a big push. You know, Scotty wins her second set. Cam Mora was up early, I believe, in the second set on one on Chloe Beck. And, you know, Tan Gillig wins the second set after dropping the first. They're making their push. And Emma Jackson responds by taking that second set off Riley Tran, preventing UNC from getting, you know, a quick point on the board. Duke outplayed them. Their freshman deliver back yep. delivers. Finally, the veteran Kelly Chen, who on paper at four singles to have a former All-American at four. It's like, you know, again, her and Vicky Flores. It's the same thing. You're like, how are these players not winning every match they play? Kelly Chen, nine and five overall on the season. 
But she gets the massive victory, right, Uh, to get this one over Fiona Crawley to earn the clinch. And again, now they've beaten NC State. They've beaten North Carolina. They've got the the, uh, ACC tournament coming up. And I do think with those wins, they're going to be a top eight seed regardless. And right now they're up to number five. Five. Rankings will learn tomorrow. But what a switch. Again, after losing to Florida State, after losing to Miami, all of the pressure was on Duke. You want to be a top eight seed. You want it to not have to face a North Carolina, you know, maybe they will, but you know, to not be, you know, go use the, the way they did in the quarterfinals last year to have to face UCF, round of 16. At, yeah. Round of or, 16 at no, home. And then North Carolina yeah. was quarterfinal match. Um, again, it was, it was a tough beat for Duke. Now it's going to be a tough beat just because of the depth in college tennis. But now you get that match at home. Like you are in the UCF position. We saw how this team responded in the NCAA tournament on the road. You know, again, to beat Baylor four, three in the round of 32 to beat UCF four, three in Orlando in the round of 16. Now they beat North Carolina at home. They beat NC State on the road. The it factor, they're starting to check off the boxes, especially, again, if this 8-1 and run for Coleman is real. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, this is going to be subjective, but <laughs> this kind of feels like a season-defining win 100%. for the state program, right? And I know they want to go deep in the tournament, and they have aspirations beyond just beating North Carolina, but, like, at this point, you're playing with house money. I mean, you just lost to a five-person Florida State team. Like, it's all gravy at this point. You knock off NC State. You knock off North Carolina. I mean, it feels like they're going to be playing pretty freely moving into these uh, conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament. Sorry, Westoff. Sorry, you know, fans listening, anyone of not of age. But this is the, the season. It's fuck. Fuck it. We beat North Carolina. Like, it doesn't really matter. Fuck it. We got the massive victory. We've been in this stage before. Let's not worry about the rest moving forward. We proved it. This was the rival win. We earned it. You cannot fake confidence. They have confidence now. And again, all the messages Jamie's been preaching to them, Coach Jamie Ashworth, everything, again, it sinks in. Everything just is a little bit easier. That fitness session, a little bit easier because you say again, last time I promised, fuck it. We beat North Carolina. It's worth it. Like what a massive victory for Duke. On the flip side for Carolina, this is the best possible thing that could have happened. Like, can we all just acknowledge (laughs) that? Now you get punched in the face. Like now, yeah, you still have the pressure coming into the NCAA tournament. Of course you do. North Carolina will inherently have that pressure on themselves. They will feel it intrinsically until they capture their first title in program history. That said, you got the loss out of the way. Like, the season letdown loss, you don't have to worry about anymore because you are always going to be furious. You lost to Duke, who you have owned. Your ACC streak is snapped. Now people think you're vulnerable. And you get to go into this ACC tournament with some vengeance on your mind, with that same hunger we saw from them, you know, after they dropped the doubles point and came out and blitzed NC State in the semifinals at the national indoors. And like, God, am I excited to see what Fiona Crawley comes up with the next week. Uh, at the ACC tournament and just how Scotty responds, your legata responds, you know, all of them. I think this is the best thing that could have happened. I've learned a lot about you from doing these shows with you up at the top of this list is you absolutely love a season loss to a late season season loss. I don't care about March losses hurt a little bit more a late April. We can rebound from it lost. It's just the, so All right, let's play a history lesson. 
20, <laughs> 2012, Detroit Country Day High School, my senior year. We had a really freaking good team. I mean, our number one guy, Blue Chip Max Cleaner, Dartmouth, whatever. Uh, Five-star, he'd want me to say. Sven goes to U Chicago, four-star. We knew we were going to win states. But, like, we wanted to kill everyone. And we played this scrimmage on a Saturday. And I'm not going to say what I did on the Friday. But on the Saturday, my partner and I lost our first match of the year. And it was, like, right late September before states and regionals in October. And, you know, again, with those losses before I like, I cannot tell you how furious I was. Cause I wanted to, so I lost those matches on my birthday, October 6th, uh, that year, I, you know, turning 17, my birthday, and that's the year I'm going to lose my first match. Like nothing could have made me more furious. We didn't lose a game in our first two round of States. Like we came out with a vengeance. Our whole team was so frustrated by how poorly we played in that scrimmage. And you know, again, this stuff actually matters. Like that was a nothing burger. This is North Carolina tennis who hasn't lost a regular season match since 2018 being like, oh my God, we lost. Like, let's go. I'm really excited to see how it unfolds. It sounds like it went well for you in 2012, 10 yeah, years exactly. later. It sounds like it will go great for North Carolina with the uh, Gruskin Crawley comparison here. Um, you know, I mean, I think you're right, right? Like, Obviously, it sucks to lose to Duke, but a little bit of the air is out of the balloon. That stress of every match, that that pedigree, you never want to be that team, right? And there's a lot of Stanford teams who have talked about the pressure that that, that comes with and being in some of these programs. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, this was a non-consequential loss for them. They still are the ACC regular season champions. Still number one. They're still number one. Like They have the whole season still to play. And... And I'll be curious to see how it translates to the tournament next week. No, I agree. I'm reading way too much into it. All I'm saying is if try and enter, you know, while I'm still young enough to do it, I'm going to try and enter the, the mind of the athlete and just the fire. Like what is a pissed off Fiona Crawley look like? Aren't we all excited to see that? Like what if she doesn't drop a game? In the ACC tournament. I think it's in play, Jay. I do. I think it's in play. I could see Scotty doing what she did at the national indoors in those first two rounds where she's like, oh, you thought, oh, that's no, 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 no. Uh, Let me play Georgia again. And it's just like, oh, no, or not. Oh, no. But like two and two, like she did a couple of times where she's just striking that first ball so well. And there's nothing you can do. And just like I want to see Yarlagata respond as well, like. Hell, I, I forget who the eight seed is or whatever their first match is going to be, but like poor Georgia Tech or Clemson. Like, I do think Yarlagata is going to be like, I have to kill someone now. And I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Well, they got a tough draw. We'll talk about that, um, you know, later on. But who was it? Who they draw? It's well, it's the winner of Florida State and Notre Dame. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Notre. Ooh. But then it's the quarterfinals and beyond, which are very spicy. Yeah, everything's spicy yeah. in conference tournament play. And again, I do want to give a shout out. Let's go back to that conference winner graphic if we can, Super Producer Daniel Westoff, because North Carolina does still win the ACC despite the loss to Duke. And obviously that has to do with all these teams beating one another up. Miami, NC State, Duke, Virginia all help contribute to a North Carolina victory. So I'm sure they're feeling pretty good. Uh, still conference champs. That streak continues and. Obviously, shout out to Oklahoma, shout out to Texas A&M, who already earned their signature victories over 
Auburn, Georgia, Florida earlier in regular season play, but complete an undefeated season and capture their first SEC regular season crown. And if you have to drop a doubles point, uh, all the people who look exceptional continue to look exceptional. And we need know, to I, fact check it. I think they did drop one doubles point uh, during the season. I I have been told they dropped it to Rice. I have not yet been able oh, to confirm. You may be right. Ooh, okay. If I'm wrong about that, I'll go look in the stats momentarily, but also a shout out to Cal, right? We said it's a cluster, et cetera. I've dropped enough F-bombs on the show. You're right, Andreas Caro. I feel bad for Westhoff as well. Uh, But, you know, Cal does what? I guess, again, we're going to get to some of the other results here in a moment, but I do. Any any final thoughts on, uh, you know, the, the conference champs? Anything surprising or can we move on to Cal? Yeah, no, let's move on. Well, I think we have, one other... No, I want to get to Georgia and everything yeah, as well because yeah. we because I want to talk about that. We just yeah. have the conference champs up here on screen. Well, I guess you're right. We'll get back to Cal momentarily. We can stick on script here with the SEC in mind. That's where you should have steered the ship and said, "Well, since we're talking about the SEC, let's talk about Georgia, uh, who you know had a tough weekend and certainly that first loss against Alabama. No Mel Riasco uh, for them in the lineup. She was off playing Billie Jean King Cup and. You can't pass up on that opportunity. I don't think anyone blames the freshman for taking that moment. Uh, still, you look for uh, Georgia, who still had, you know, co- uh, no Dasha V and Minova for yeah. them in singles as well. They're down, but I should remember that. I called the match, but still, it's not as though, Al- you know, Alabama, I believe, is playing a walk on at the number six spot. And, you know, you look for the Georgia team after they uh, drop the doubles point, you know, for them. You, you just figured, you know, because you look through the course of this match, Sidlakova at the number one spot earns a straight set victory over Leah Ma. That's certainly a big victory for her, an upset victory, in fact. Uh, but outside of that, you know, when Georgia, who, you know, wins first sets from Hurdle at the number four spot, wins a thir- uh, first set from Grant at the number five spot, wins a first set from Narundorn at the sixth spot, even despite being at, without being maneuver Riasco, you just figured, all right, they'll sweep the bottom three still. And someone in the top three is going to follow, uh, is going to come through. Well, again, credit to this Alabama team who, you know, earns three out of the top four single spots. It's Sid Lakava, it's Ola Pitak, who the senior, uh, you know, career defining victory to earn this win for her program over Georgia. Three set clinching win over Morgan Kopic, a ridiculous down the line passing shot to earn the victory, which of course we were fortunate enough to be on the call for here at cracked rackets. Of course you had Anne Marie Heiser, the three set win over hurdle as well. You wouldn't read too much into this loss for Georgia because they were without Riasco. They were without Viet Minova. And this Alabama team has been right along. And now with this victory, certainly inside the NCAA tournament cutoff line, the loss you take notice of is the loss to Auburn because a, they play that match with Vian Minova and Riasco, but without Leah Ma. And you just feel like the totality of injuries, Ma, Vian Minova, two of your top three, it's something you have to monitor in postseason play. And again, for this Georgia team, whose depth has been the strength uh, of their lineup, you know, for them to get played at the top, whether it's, you know, Arsenault, and sorry, Axon, who've all been exceptional for Auburn, but to all earn straight set victories and, you know, to drop the doubles point in back-to-back matches this weekend, it was a tough weekend for the Bulldogs, particularly yeah. heading into May. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know if the strength of this Georgia lineup is necessarily in the bottom of the lineup. They've been good there. They've been excellent though at two and three with Riasco sure. and Dimnova, right? So to lose, you know, at at two, three, four against Auburn, that's tough. I mean, obviously with no Leah Ma, but yeah, I mean, this is obviously a good weekend for both Alabama. I mean, that that secures their spot in the NCAA tournament. Likely, if they're over five hundred, I need to check. Um, and and Auburn obviously getting a good win, but it, it's tough to put too much stock into this. I think it's clear that this Georgia team was struggling with things like injuries, travel. Um, so I'm more looking forward to the rematch potentially of this Georgia Auburn. Uh, Georgia Auburn match in the SEC tournament than I am too down on Georgia after this weekend. Yeah, I, I want to see them healthy. You're right. But it's just the question for this Georgia team all season long is what are they going to look like when healthy? And we got to see them in one match against top tier competition with everyone in the lineup and they played it really close, but it was still a seven loss to Texas A&M at home. And like, again, what's the signature victory for this Georgia team over Ohio State at home? Yeah, that's a good one. To beat Florida, that's a good win. But they don't have that, you know, that Pepperdine, you know, beat Pepperdine, Virginia, and a Duke or like one of those sorts of victories. And so I want to see this Georgia team make the conference final. I want to see them make a big run before I make a big prediction about them at the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I think we actually need the more senior leadership on the team to step up, right? I yeah. think like Kopit Kowalski haven't been as strong as maybe we thought they would be if they were able to play at the bottom of the lineup. And it it might be too much. We've seen this time and time again, where some freshmen hit a wall towards the end of that freshman season. And you're going to need these senior leaders to step up. You can just say Connie Ma, you know, you, again, we, uh, I was actually referring to the UVA men last year, but (laughs) also fair. Although, I mean, did they hit that big of a wall? They won the conference tournament. They just lost to USC. Like, I don't think. Anyways, yeah. You, to Wait, your point, a... you look at the mess. You know, the record: Kowalski ten and four overall, Kopic nine and five overall. It's good. It's not exceptional. And you figure for both of them playing in the bottom half of the lineup that they could have ripped off eleven and two or like twelve and three sorts of seasons. Even though to Kopic Cop- never plays quick matches, so the fact that she's even finished fourteen, maybe that's the shocker of the year. Um, but you're right; like it feels like they're that's a little low hanging fruit that we thought might be a little bit better. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if anything, the freshmen have helped save this season in a lot of ways. So we'll see how that balances out. Can we give the flip side? Obviously, for Alabama, what a win. I mean, again, I believe that was their fifth victory in program history, and they were a team hovering right around 45. Over Georgia, fifth victory. Yeah, fifth victory, thank you. (laughs) Over Georgia in program history. And, you know, again, they're hovering right around number 45 in the rankings going into it now. They're comfortably inside the top 45 with the SEC tournament coming up as well. I do want to talk about Auburn, though. 20-4 and overall on the season. 4-2 loss to NC State. 4-3 4-3 loss to Ohio State, 7-0 loss at AM. and then the shocker was the 4-3 at South Carolina, where South Carolina, in my opinion, just had one of those days where, and you know, South Carolina is a team with the superstars they have in Hamner, in Ackley. They may be particularly suited to get after an Auburn team, which has seven really, you know, seven quality points, but maybe no exceptional points, although Axum's played great. Maybe she is exceptional at this point. Um, yeah, but that was the match Ovunk took it to him there, right? Yeah, so that I, kind of flipped the script on us well, a little Which bit. is exactly my, but so the, the broader point being that was the one and every team gets the one. Outside of that, I mean, this Auburn team wins 
all pretty much all but the Texas A&M doubles point. Um, this Auburn team can find six victories in a bunch of different ways. Yu Chen, uh, who I believe drops her match in this one, has been exceptional in every other match played this season. And again, if the bet is they take doubles and they only need to find three out of six, they've got 15 different combinations for finding three points. If this team takes doubles points, they are extraordinarily difficult to beat. They're tier three. Like, are they tier two or tier three? That's my con- That's my question to you. What do they need to do with the SEC tournament to convince you they're tier two and not tier three? I think they would need to win it. Straight up? Like, not even finals? If they go and beat a Georgia again, and they, they just lose to A&M, and let's say they lose to A&M 4-2 this time instead of 7-0, that doesn't put them in tier two for you? I think there's going to be one SEC team in that tier one, tier two category. And it's A&M. Well, it's barring a loss. Yeah, exactly. If A&M sweeps it, then it's them. Um, So, but look, I mean, this is Auburn's best finish in the SEC. Incredibly impressive, like super exciting just to have new teams look in the SEC. Texas A&M winning for the first time outright. Auburn finishing the highest ever. Like there's just a lot more parity that we talked about. So this Auburn team is really good. This is a dangerous team, again, who's going to be probably in that like nine through 12 bucket, um, which would be very dangerous come the, come the round of 16. Yeah. And by the way, Scotty B confirms Texas A&M does drop the doubles point to rice. I would like to see what the doubles lineup was though, in that matchup, because, you know, again, did we get the full roster? Was it Makarova Goldsmith? Did we have Stoyana and Brandstein? What did that doubles lineup look like? But before I see that, you know, again, I'm willing to throw that point aside. That said, SEC tournament's going to be fascinating. We'll talk about that in a little bit on this show. Let's get to the best of the rest of the results. And now, again, when you look at some of the action we saw unfold over the past week, there were a bunch of fun matches for us to discuss, Cal in particular. Uh, massive victories uh, for them as they earn a 5-2 win over Stanford. Now, the aforementioned Connie Ma loses a surprising loss to Haley Giovara, who has struggled uh, throughout the course of this season that still in my opinion became the undercard as you like to refer to of the west coast results as usc yeah it was funky therefore three win over ucla i'm actually going to talk to steve weissman i believe tomorrow on the mini break podcast he was at the ending of that match i want to hear his in-person takeaways i don't believe you were there jay were you at cal stanford i was I'm not curious. he okay some- but still you're a west coast correspondent uh, right now, you look at the projected rankings. It's fascinating of where things stand heading into again this final uh, weekend of uh, or with conference tournaments and regular season play wrapping up. Right now, Pac-12 teams in the mix, and you know you've got Cal sitting at number seven right now, number eight in the projected rankings. They're going to be a top sixteen seed, but they probably wouldn't need to win or at least make the final of the Pac-12 tournament to solidify their spot as a top eight seed. Now beyond. On them, UCLA 16, USC 17, Stanford is 18. I mean, come on now, Jay. That's as good as it gets from like the place to be is the Ojai. Yeah, I mean, and we'll, we'll add into the fact Are you going to go? No, I am not going to Ojai. Um, oh, I mean, that's a six-hour drive. Okay. Here's what I'm saying. If I... Oh, well, yeah. 
I may, I'm still debating if I'm going to make the drive for Michigan, Ohio state part three, if there is a part three in the big 10 tournament, because I'm not exactly sure where how is it, far this it is. I will look that up as you're talking. Okay. I would go within six hours. Like, come on, it's worth it. It's, <laughs> it's a really good match. You might get six hours of tennis. I've learned one thing in doing these shows because the people I talk to, people are much more willing to drive in like the middle and southern part of the country. Very I'll true. say like, oh, it's like four hours. They're like, that's nothing. I'm like, uh, that's not happening. Um, so because everything in the Midwest is about is less than six hours away, but you can get anywhere within six hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, n- no, I don't think I'll be going to Ohio via. Oh, my God. <sighs> An excuse to go see my best friend, too, who's at vet school at the University of Wisconsin. Danny Westerman, I may have to stay on your couch. I mean, I can stay on Dustin's couch, but oh, my God, it's the Nielsen Tennis Center, too. Danny, will you have me at Big Tens? Text. Uh, you know what? I'm going to text him afterwards. After. Uh, yeah, I we'll- think I'm going to. That's, by the way, five hours away from Indianapolis. I think I'm going to go. That's great. <laughs> um, you should go. Um, so USC, UCLA, it, to me, this felt like a, a season saving win for USC. Yes, they've gotten a lot better over the last few weeks, but just what a big win for the program. Such, such needed win. I mean, they, they stole that doubles point. It was a late seven, six tie break. And I mean, just the, you talked about the funkiness of it, right? You had Cayetano up, you know, six, two, five, one. She ends up dropping that match. You have, um, Salma Ewing beat Abby Forbes at the top of the lineup. It was it was a topsy turvy match that saw USC come out on top, and it was much needed for them. And interestingly, you know they they struggled against Cal and Stanford when they made the trip up here to, to Northern California. So that's the interesting wrinkle about the Pac-12 tournament because UCLA didn't make that Northern California trips. We haven't seen UCLA Stanford matchups, but. Overall, great win for USC. Keeps them alive in that top 16 hunt, depending on what happens in the Pac-12 tournament. Well, Cayetano's up a set in 5-1. And for her to lose that match, which there are just swings in Cayetano tennis matches, then USC still wins the match. It's a testament to the importance of having Naomi Chung healthy and back yep. in the lineup. And she yep. earns a victory this weekend. Snow Han now down to the fourth spot. That's a dangerous place for her to be. She earns another victory. Selma Ewing and Cayetano, you feel like can split against anyone. And then totally. again, it's still figuring out five and six, but they have options in Wilson and Mora in Piper, who you feel like they can at their best get one and one out of. Now they take the doubles point here as well. Yeah, And they've mixed doubles up too lately. Yeah. And they're starting to just again, after the nadir of their season in late February, early March, they have improved. They have gotten better. Now they have confidence going into the postseason tournament where again, the hottest team in the PAC 12 might right now might be Arizona state. And like, cause Stanford has limped to the finish line. Cal's looked good, but not exceptional. I would say, and Cal looked very good in their five, two victory. Let's be clear uh, over Stanford. And you look uh, for this Cal team to, you know, earn a win the way they did. I already mentioned Giovara earlier, but also for them, you know, to get a victory uh, from Rosenquist, who's been so excellent at the number yep. four spot, Villar Moeller, three sets like she did over Valencia shoe at five. That's freshman on freshman crime. And, you know, again, for them to get a win from Richardson over Choi with Choi at six, 
that's just really good singles play uh, for this group. Now, again, silver lining for Stanford. Yep. is the real deal at yeah. two and Ma has struggled down the home stretch of this season, but if she can refine some early season form, their top two can beat anyone. Where are you with it? power rank them for me and put them in tiers, Cal USC, UCLA, who we didn't talk about. And again, UCLA has gotten better, even if it's always been patchwork up and down play uh, for the Bruins throughout the course of this season. That said, certainly you walk into any match with Abby Forbes, you feel pretty good uh, about your chances of getting a victory at the number one spot. And, you know, even though she lost to Ewing, that's a three set loss for Alicia Bolton to come back the way she did against Kyle. Ayatano and, you know, Kimmy Hans has found her footing. Vanessa Ong at six. You feel like if healthy, she's pretty dangerous there. All these teams are, I mean, is Cal a tier two and the rest are tier three? They're all to me in that top 16-ish sort of category. Yeah, it's tough to really say Cal's a cut above when UCLA smoked them, yeah, right, exactly. earlier in the season. So it's really tough. I mean, power ranking, you probably have to go Cal, USC, UCLA, Stanford. Mm-hmm. And which is crazy to say. Which is crazy. But the, the, the truly the linchpin is Connie Ma, right? I, I saw Connie Ma play phenomenal against Salma Ewing. If Connie Ma plays like she does these last four matches, Stanford probably doesn't beat these other teams, right? They kind of need that point at one that they've been so reliant on. And most time we'll get both Yepifanova and Ma. If she's not playing well in doubles too, that hurts. So, I mean, Stanford is really limping towards the finish here. They absolutely need to turn around from Connie Ma. It's not enough just to rely on the rest of the lineup. Yeah. And then look, Angelica Blake, a ridiculous win. First loss for Kai Weirsholm in her dual match career. That's a not really her first nice loss. Win. Not her first loss. Second loss? Second or third. Okay, still, it's yeah. a really good three set win for it. Shows you where my brain is. I blame the level three. It's been a long weekend here at Crack Rackets. Um, Blake, though, really nice win over Kai Weirsholm at yep. the number three spot. And again, Pac 12 tournament coming up. Arizona State's in the mix as well, but with these four teams all playing at different degrees of well right now. It's going to be a fun week of play in the Ojai. Certainly, again, Cal, USC earning some momentum heading into that postseason tournament. With that in mind, let's move on uh, to another interesting match. Florida surviving against South Carolina. 4-3 victory for the Gators. They take the doubles point. Kessler gets a really nice win over Hamner at the number one spot. And then, you know, for them, Sarah Dahlstrom gets a win at 5-3 set win from Alicia Dudney at the number three spot spot uh, to ultimately get that fourth point on the board. I mean, look, there were three, three set matches in this one. Uh, You know, South Carolina takes, I believe two of them uh, to ultimately earn the victory. That's all you can ask for if uh, our South Carolina takes two of them, but if you're Florida, it didn't matter because you got the straight set wins and that's all you can ask for, right? Is this Florida team very much like Auburn? I don't know where they're four are going to come from, but if they win a doubles point, they're very likely to find three singles victories. They have that sort of depth. They're pretty good everywhere. Yeah, this was a good win for them. Much needed one solidified the number four seed in the SEC tournament, which is being played in Gainesville. And then I think they're right sitting right above those three Pac-12 schools. Well, that's the thing is you feel like the Pac-12 winner is going to get two wins over two of the four teams in that group. And so that's where they get the boost. Now you look for yep. Florida right now, who I have in the projected rankings, they are currently sitting at 15. Right. Yeah. They need to perform in Gainesville during the SEC conference tournament. And this builds some momentum towards that. 
Well, and they couldn't have lost this match, yes. right? Like, so that was, this was step one, right? And then step two will, will be the SEC tournament and a little bit of kind of what happens in, in the Pac-12, um, right? If it's Cal who wins out, that, that minimizes that's things. That's best case. So that's best case for them. But ultimately they finished on a high note here um, and they carry momentum into the SEC tournament, which for them, you know, they'll get to play in their home courts. No, I, I think that's fair. Now, again, uh, let's move on beyond them because Florida, we're going to get to talk about in our conference preview. Buckeyes undefeated in the Big Ten wins over Minnesota and Wisconsin. That Wisconsin match got testy. I believe Wisconsin won four second sets in singles and you know tightened score gaps in doubles, almost made a push for the point as well. And yet this Buckeyes team stays resilient. They're going to win the Big Ten. They are your prohibitive favorites entering the conference tournament as well. Right now, projected rankings has the Buckeyes number 10. And with all due respect, Michigan Northwestern, just probably not enough to get them back into the top eight. That said, who would you rather face in the Sweet 16, Ohio State or Pepperdine? Ohio State. Interesting you say that. Uh, I mean, look. Dormay's healthy again. Marzell's playing better. Those are two players who compared to last season's results. I mean, again, playing the non-conference schedule, they just don't have the gaudy 18 and two 19 and one records they had last season. At the same time, they're getting better. Ratliff's the real deal. Contos Boulay, the real deal one, two. It's finding the doubles pairings and they've keep playing around. I think Boulay and Allen are ultimately going to end up together. What will the other two pairings be? That probably defines the ceiling for this Buckeyes team at the NCAA tournament. And it worked this weekend. Yep. Nothing to add. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, again, let's move on to our next of the best of the rest. And, you know, it's always fun here, but you continue with upsets uh, down the home stretch of conference play. Certainly uh, the ones that caught our eyes here uh, was Northwestern dropping their match at Illinois. And we have that on our broadcast four three win for the Illini, but Syracuse four three win over Florida state. And then on frisky watch Washington state, we talked about it. They're the team we've talked about the least that we should have spent more time on this season. They play everyone close this time. It's a four, three win over conference rivals, Washington, again, Arizona state playing well, Washington, Washington state in the mix. I would have a cup of coffee with Arizona as well. I think they're pretty solid in pac 12 play this year. Utah has been pretty good also, although it's been a little tougher for them in conference play than it was in non-conference play. That said, there's no easy out. In the Pac-12, another manifestation of the depth, which we saw reflected in the upsets this weekend. Yeah, I mean, this Illinois, too. I like Illinois. Yeah, I mean, that was a great win for them. The Washington State win was was good. It's tough for Washington there right now without their number two player, um, Sarah Mod 14 who was really their best point. She was like 14 and three there at the number two spot. So that's been tough for them. Uh, Syracuse over Florida State. That came down to a third set buster. That was a great match. Um, Did not see that one coming at all. Look, this is what you expect down this home stretch of the conference season. You get some of these conference rival matchups and and they certainly delivered. But you're right. Pac-12, there's no no easy out there, right? They're all. And that's what we were talking about with the Pac-10, the Pac-10 conference pod we did, right? Where the Pac-12 is all bunched in the like 20s to 30 range, right? Some of those teams you mentioned, whereas the Big Ten is struggling a little bit in the more 40s, 50s, 60s range. Yeah. And so um, certainly Pac-12 tournament's going to be fascinating. Now, again, watching Illinois play Duong and Heiser and all the talent they have, you know, Ashley, yeah, as well. They're freaking good, man. 
Like, I'd like to see them play the Auburns of the world, have a shot at the Arkansas, the Alabamas, just to see how they would fare. I want to see them get in to the NCAA tournament. It's going to be close in that conference run, but certainly for Illinois to earn this victory over Northwestern, they jump up to number 47. Uh, so they'll have a shot to prove it for themselves. Some other teams earning big victories. Tulsa, uh, 4-0 over Denver. Charlotte, 5-2 over VCU. SMU, 4-3 over the aforementioned Rice, who earned a straight-up doubles point. Sorry for sliding. You rice uh, the owls seven six. You know, according to Scotty B, beat Goldsmith and Makarova, beat Morales and Pilet at the three spot. That's the legitimate doubles lineup, folks. So again, really good victory there. Any final thoughts here as these teams make their uh, push for the NCAA field? No, I think it's it's just kind of the top 40 ish watch, right? Um, see how yeah. these things play out over the next few few weeks. Yeah, so with that in mind, let's move on here. Good win, bad loss. Again, we'll rapid fire through a couple of the other results we saw throughout the course of the weekend. Virginia knocks off Georgia Tech 5-2. Good win, bad loss. Good win. Georgia Tech is playing well down the home stretch. NC State 7-0 over Notre Dame. That's a strong response from the Wolfpack. I'm going to go bad loss. Uh, Notre Dame has had two back-to-back oh sevens. Well, it's more of second. a bad... Well, that got me to part two. I was going to say the Wake say. Forest loss. Not great. Yeah, I would say these are bad score lines. Maybe not bad loss, but they're bad score lines. Arkansas, 7-0 over LSU. I think that's a good win. That's a good L- win. Yeah, LSU has played well of late. And then Auburn, 6-1 over Tennessee. Again, to beat Tennessee and Georgia, final weekend of conference play, both of those matches at home, it was the prove-it sort of weekend, and they proved it. Yeah, this win probably more impressive than the Georgia win for me, at least by score line. Sure. And then again, some of the other fun ones, Texas, 4-3 over Baylor. Baylor, uh, another one of those frisky teams. Uh, flirting with tier three status that Texas gets the win. That's why they're two, two. Yeah. They escaped. Um, They did not look very good in this match. Um, So good win to escape. Yeah. And then again, Arizona state four one over Arizona, continuing their momentum. Loyola continuing to be the best uh, of the rest, you know, five, two, three over San Diego, Princeton, finally four, one win over Harvard. And then Michigan, an impressive four, one victory over Nebraska. Uh, Also got a good win. I thought over Iowa, why it was so good. They actually won a freaking doubles point. Uh, Any final thoughts on the results? we saw this week no all right well with that said let's move on then to our rankings and you know there's finally some movement perhaps throughout the course of this week now it's notable north carolina still number one for us yes they lose to duke on the road but you know they have the head-to-head win over oklahoma and are we really gonna punish north carolina for one road loss in the end, we elect no. They're number one, Oklahoma two, AM stays at that three spot. Interesting. NC State four, Duke at number five. That might be on me. I may have screwed that up in the rankings this past week. Should have had that one perhaps flip. Texas six, Cal seven. Oklahoma State 8, then Pepperdine dropping down to that number 9 spot. Then, of course, we see the depth. Virginia 10, Ohio State 11, Georgia 12, Auburn 13. We've got Miami at the number 14 spot. Florida 15, USC at 16. The ties for 8-9 broke in the direction of Oklahoma State, who got the victory over Pepperdine. Three-way tie at 11-12-13. Super producer Daniel Westoff going Ohio State, Georgia, Auburn. Give him some slack. Cut him some slack. He did not look at the Auburn win over Georgia this past weekend. It Had he done that, probably puts Auburn in that number 12 spot. 
over UGA and then the Florida USC. Oh. <laughs> Super producer Daniel Westoff, can I read the comment you just sent me because it was very funny or do you not want that to be said? Yeah, I agree. It was very funny. Uh, so shout out to him. We'll save that for the Patreon. And then we had a tie 15-16, Florida 15, USC 16. Thoughts, Jay? Yeah, I was probably the reason. I think you might have had Duke higher. You said you maybe had, I did not have, I had Duke at six. I still have them below NC state and Texas. Um, And then once we explain the ties, that makes, that makes sense. Um, In terms of that, I had questions about that 11 through 13 with Ohio state, Georgia, and Auburn USC sneaking in 16 feels potentially a little aggressive, um, but we'll go with it. He rated them by camera quality. Now we'll, we'll go with that. I think that's the politically correct answer of saying that all very good, but it's true. Ohio State cameras might be the best in all of the country. They are up to date. You've got the names. One of my favorites uh, of the many favorites we've had the opportunity to work with. With that said, only one broadcast for us to go on the week ahead. That's our Big Ten cross-court cast coming up this Sunday. And certainly uh, we're going to have uh, some fun with that one as we've got some fun matches on our stream. But let's look at the week ahead uh, as well. Yeah, you can see here our cross-court cast final one of the season on Sunday, we get the Michigan Northwestern match, which may have lost a bit of steam with Northwestern's loss to Illinois this past weekend. Nevertheless, to solidify the race for that number two seed, Michigan's got Illinois coming to town on Friday. They've got Northwestern on Sunday. Certainly, you look at other parts of the conference, I think, uh, for uh, the Nebraska men who have been one of the rising teams. I'm just excited to see them play uh, Ohio State. I think Illinois needs a freaking victory over Purdue on the men's side, obviously. And can they capture that momentum from Northwestern win last weekend? We'll see if that's possible. Illinois women need to keep winning. They take on Michigan State. And, you know, again, for uh, a bunch of these teams, certainly the Michigan Northwestern Western's the headline, but a fun uh, ending to the season. Let's look more broadly, though, as we've got conference tournaments in every bit Power Five conference but the Big Ten. You made predictions. You had your winner. You had your dark horse. You had your what's to watch. Let's just go through them conference by conference. Start with the HCC. Break it down for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think UNC gets their revenge here. Um, the this, there, That's my winner pick. Dark horse is Georgia Tech. Uh, they're in the bottom half of the draw with Miami, which I think is a good draw for them. Georgia Tech has been playing well. They played Miami super close early in the season. So that's upset alert for me. And then what to watch. I mean, the top half is just loaded, right? I mean, UVA, NC State, quarterfinal, winner to play North Carolina. That's rough. Um, so that's what I'm watching for. Excited for the ACC. Has a ton of implications on seeding. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, at- You know, Dark Horse being Georgia Tech is probably a testament to the Notre Dame losses this past weekend. Now, I would take a flyer on Wake Forest. I also do think in this conversation, Miami has somehow become underrated. Like, we have forgotten about them because they haven't had that spectacular result of late. But I'm excited to see... uh, how how they respond this weekend because you know again they are a higher seed they do have their opportunity now certainly unc and can they put together a dominant performance is the storyline but across the board i think you know again pac 12 because of the rat race it's the most intriguing this is the highest quality uh in my opinion is the acc tournament you'll see from start to finish because there's a lot of good teams and so that could get pretty fun i agree with you i'm going to take unc 
them losing to Duke is all that I needed uh, to make them picks of mine moving forward. Uh, all right, Pac-12. We talked about the rat race. Break it down for me. Yeah, Pac-12 uh, winner for me has to be Cal. They're you know they're they've had good swings and bad swings. They're currently on a good swing. Would not surprise me to see them at a bad swing here. But they did win this conference tournament last year, so they're the defending champions. Um, and they look good. They look solid, particularly at the bottom half of that lineup. Dark horse here is Arizona State. Arizona State knocked off Cal and Stanford at home. They're carrying some momentum, just beat in-state rival Arizona. Look for them to, to be sneaky in this tournament. And then what to watch. I mean, UCLA was out with health protocols throughout the season, didn't make the trip to Northern California. So on paper, we're going to get a UCLA-Stanford matchup. That's one we haven't seen this season and one that absolutely will dictate top 16 seedings. I just feel like I know nothing about this UCLA team. Still, I need right? to see a run from them this weekend. I agree with you. So I am fascinated to see how they do at Ojai. But yeah, that's the one to watch uh, in the Pac-12. And I think we've broken that down enough. Big 12, break it down for me. Well, look, the, the winner has got to be Oklahoma here. They've looked um, pretty inflappable throughout the season. Um, but I think this is... If this is interesting, right? There's not a lot of teams here, but um, Dark Horse for me has to be Iowa State. You know, they have played all of these teams super close. And if you come from the Gruskin school of thought, you <laughs> think a, a super lo- close loss can is just as equal to a win. So um, Iowa State, sneaky, sneaky good here in this tournament. What to watch? I mean, I was super impressed with this Oklahoma State team. I think they'll beat Texas in that uh, semifinal match. I think both Iowa State and Texas Tech think they're supposed to be Oklahoma State this season. I think Baylor also thinks they're supposed to be Oklahoma State this season. So all of them will have Oklahoma State in their eyes, uh, in their vision line. But yeah, again, Texas, how good are they? Can they get through an Oklahoma State team that has momentum on their side? Can they look dominant if they have to face the Iowa State's Texas Techs of the world? And then would they get another you know, third round against Oklahoma? It's damn near impossible to beat a team three times in one season. The part three, like plenty to be excited about in the Big 12. SEC, I won't I I don't know if this is the least interesting of the three, and that's probably a testament to how good AM has been, but now with Georgia losing. They need to build some momentum heading into May. South Carolina's, Tennessee's of the world. They want to make a final push at the Arkansas's of the world in that category as well. And then, of course, Auburn, Florida, top 16, top eight. Can they make one final push for those final spots? Lay it on me, Jay. What are you watching? Yeah, I mean, you walked through a lot of the storylines here. Ultimately, I'm not sure it's that interesting because I am anticipating Texas A&M winning and beating the winner of the Auburn-Georgia match in the final. Um, so I think it'll be pretty chalk there, but you're right. There's a lot of teams that are making wanting to make some noise. Yeah, and so with that in mind, again, those are your conference tournaments. Power rank them in intrigue by, for me. So I differ from you here. Okay. By these four, we'll just say. Can I give mine first? So just to clarify, to see if you actually differ, because I don't think I made it perfectly clear. Do we want intrigue or level of play? You said intrigue. Okay. <sighs> I almost want to lie and just say Pac-12 is actually third. I just know nothing about the Pac-12, so they're going to be number one for me. (laughs) ACC two, sorry, Big 12, you're right next to it at three. Then there's a big drop, SEC four. So I have SEC four as well. Um, I have ACC one um, based on Duke, UNC, North Carolina State. Can't knock it. 
Um, I have second, I have big 12 for the same reasons. Can't knock it either. And then I have th- pac 12s third. I will Again, say what that's knocks- probably the most conservative conventional take you've ever given me. You went with the teams with the most amount of good teams in the conference tournaments for second, third. That is the most conventional list John Parsons has ever offered on the show. Here's what knocks the pac 12 down for me is I just don't think there's a national contender there. Fair. And so, yeah, okay. it's a race for a top 16 team, but the reality is whoever is not a top 16 seed is going to that top 16 seed as a host. If Stanford has Michaela Gordon in the lineup and blitzes through everyone four O's. Are they now national contender? <laughs> yeah, they would be. <laughs> okay. I like it. All right. Eyes on Ann Arbor. We discussed Princeton winning in against Columbia and Coronel. They, uh, I believe you beat both teams four O earlier in the season. Are they going to do it? I think they do. I think yeah. they do. Um, they now control their own destiny and if they win, they're in. Yeah. And so, again, it's going to be a fascinating team. Actually, Super Producer Danny Westoff, can we bring back up the rankings graphics? There's two more things I want to do before we wrap today's show, because Scotty B asks a very good question. I want to go back to our rankings. 10 through 16, Virginia, Ohio State, Georgia, Auburn, Miami, Florida, USC. Scotty B asked, of those teams, do you feel there are any on the list that will not make the Sweet 16? That's his way of asking who can Baylor beat. We love you, Scott, to be, I'll translate for you. You can just ask it straight up. I have no qualms with that. I think that's a good question. Give me your power ranking to end here of those 10 through 16 teams, least likely to make the NCAA round of 16. Least likely to make it or least likely to be a top 16 seed? Least likely to make this week 16. In order of least to most? Yeah. I'll go with you. Let's start at the bottom. I think Virginia is the most likely. Uh, of 10 through of 9 yeah, through 16. 10 through 16. 10 through 16. We're most likely. Um, Virginia is the most likely. Then I would go Ohio State. I think you have to be really good to beat them. I just think they can find four too easily. I'll go Ohio State. Then Auburn, because I just think their floor is the highest. Uh, then Pepperdine. No, Pepperdine's excluded, not including Pepperdine on this list. Why? Because he asked for 10 through 16. Oh, 10 through. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that's, that's literally why. That's okay, the only 16, reason. Got it. Um, um, then I okay. go. So then I go sure. off. Yeah. I, well, uh, mm, I'm going to go Georgia. A UCLA Georgia matchup would be fascinating to me. That would because be fascinating. Georgia's got the option, or UCLA has the options to match Georgia up top. But on bottom, you give Georgia the credit. But like on paper, have they been that much better than UCLA? Not right. really. Yeah, not really on paper. Yeah, but we haven't so, seen much paper from UCLA. Yeah, exactly. And so that would be a fascinating matchup. So that's why I go Auburn over Georgia because I feel like Auburn does beat Georgia, uh, UCLA in the bottom of the lineup. That would be my justification. And they win doubles. Do you go Georgia next? Yes. Okay. So we have those Miami, then Miami, then Florida, then USC, then USC, then Florida. I just don't know what I'm going to get with USC on any given day. They could beat North Carolina and then lose to (laughs) freaking Utah the next day. Um, Yeah. That's where I would stand with that. And again, we've got one more big 10 cross court cast to come this Sunday. We are extraordinarily excited for it. Can you bring that graphic up one more time as well? Super producer Daniel West off. So I can let everyone know that our start time this Sunday will be 11 a.m. Eastern time, early start 
for our final week of action. Again, last chance to see it. So we hope you join us on our final day of coverage. Certainly we'll get to employ split screen, all the works uh, across the way. And of course, we wouldn't be able to do these broadcasts without the support we get from all of you, as well as the support we get from our friends at Swing Vision and Turner. Again, learn more about Swing Vision by clicking on the link to in the description to this podcast. Learn more about Turner by emailing them at sales at uniquesports.com today. A shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westoff. Hopefully he took the edits down for my F-bombs. If he didn't, you're going to hear them on the podcast form of this show. And again, appreciate all the work he does making all of this content possible day in, day out uh, to be at a tournament desk for 36 hours over the past three days and to have to make graphics for this show, you know, eight hours later. That's why he's the best in the business, folks. With that said, any final thoughts, Jay, before we wrap? It's what we've been waiting for, right? This is what it, this all it leads delivered. up to. So yeah. a top five list, because it's just a power ranking sort of day. Um, Third weekend, March 2018 was a really fun weekend because you look back. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're not doing that. Uh Any final thoughts before we wrap the show? No. um, Now my brain hurts. But uh, no, this has been great. Literally looking forward to the conference tournaments. We'll dual screen the, the Big Ten action with the conference tournaments. And man, here we go. Yeah. And I want to clear Scotty B's good name. He was just curious in general, not who Baylor can be. And I know that's Scotty B, but if I'm not joking around with you, we're not having a good time. So with that said, for my fantastic co-host, John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision and Turner, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all on Thursday for our men's show. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.